Yo, yo, what it is, boys and girls. Welcome to yet another edition of the Elf Nerds Podcast. I'm Andy, and as always, I'm joined by my fearless cohort. Ooh, cohort. Dude, Reno. Nice. <laughs> What's up, bud? Oh, uh, you know, you listening know. to music, just having a great time, enjoying all the music that's been coming out, and looking forward to talking about some of it right here today. We got a handful of records picked out for you. Two new releases, two old dogs. There's also something special this show. We're, uh, we're doing a new segment. So, yeah, we have a guest on the show picked out a record. We're going to talk about that kind of in the middle. So stay tuned for that. Why don't you tell the good people what we have coming up? So we're featuring a little Aaron Jones, a uh, up-and-coming artist from the Seattle area with Child of the State, Cloud Nothings with their new album, The Shadow I Remember. And then we go a little old, Andy. Yeah, we got uh, a really interesting record from the Beastie Boys from 1992, Check Your Head, as well as a fairly influential record from the Jesus Lizard, 1991 record, Goat. They must be Animal Planet fans because Jesus Lizards are interesting creatures. Yes, they're big, <laughs> big fans of All right. Well, you know, you guys can always get in touch with us, podcast at albumnerds.com, or leave us a voicemail at 585-210-2454 with your thoughts on these albums and anything you might be listening to. So with that out of the way, let's do this. Okay, so we're kicking it off with Aaron Jones and his track Baptized in the Muddy Waters from the album Child of the State. We learned from our past mistakes and not do mistakes, but them a fall. You know we're baptized. Alright, so that was Baptized in Muddy Waters from Aaron Jones. He's an American guitarist, singer, and songwriter. That music, it blends some elements of grunge, hip-hop, soul, and other genres. And I guess he's been performing locally for years. A debut album on a major label, but he has put out some independent releases. And he was kind of discovered uh, by Sir Mix-a-Lot, the Wait, Seattle rapper. Wait, did he get back, Sir Mix-a-Lot? Yes, yes, he's from Seattle. Oh. He saw him playing in a club, and, and his independent first album, he... Uh, Produced it for free. So this guy's really? been... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I read. Weird connection. So uh, Aaron's been building slowly this audience in the Seattle area, and this is his chance to shine for the rest of the world. Bluesy, it's hard rock, catchy song, solid groove. All in all, a lot of fun to listen to. I've really enjoyed it, uh, and I've gotten more into it the more I've listened to it. Andy, your initial thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you can hear a lot of shades of some 90s alternative rock in there. Definitely some, like, Lenny Kravitz. I assume that was kind of what stirred the emotion in you, dude, was some of those those early records from, from Lenny there. Yeah, yeah, I think it was more the grungy guitar stuff. Uh, okay. It does have that Seattle sound, sort of yeah. the, the kind of 
bluesy, but also right. kind of rough around the edges. Yeah, it's got the bluesy, blues rock, um, Jimi Hendrix, kind of, Jimi Hendrix is from Seattle as well, that underlying feel to it, but like, uh, like that song, Baptized in the Muddy Waters, I also like the references to the area, because that song's about, you know, coming up in Seattle and the muddy waters, uh, the rivers and all that stuff, everything's all, you know, seattle uh, and just this ownership of this is where I'm from. I mean, you know, the the album kicks off with with uh, boys from the Puget Sound, which is just kind of like we're here. Get the fuck out of my way, you know? Right, right, right. And 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 there's a pride to being from where he's from, and I think that's what really appealed to me. Like Killing Season has this really Soundgarden-y guitar sound in the choruses and it's not mm-hmm. like i don't know how intentional it is i think it's part of his dna and that's what he grew up on that stuff and that's what really attracted me to this record yeah it sounds like a location which is interesting i often get records like that um i don't know as a whole i guess i'm kind of like lukewarm on the album as a as a piece of art i feel like it's a cool sound but you never really never really stuck with me and there wasn't really anything i latched on to in terms of what he was talking about in the lyrics or and there's some cool little blues blues rock riffs that transpire i don't know i, I didn't because I, I wasn't really drawn to it as much as you were though i don't think that's bad by any means so yeah kind of lukewarm on it overall well i'll take it you know that's that's about what i expected because this definitely is more me than you i fall in love more easily on this bluesy blues rock yeah, this is definitely your genre. Yeah. It reminded me a lot of like, uh, what was that band we talked about in the past? Joyce Wolf. Uh-huh, Joyce Wolf, yeah. More recent yeah. band, right? Similar sound. So if you were digging that from some of our earlier shows, um, you probably would dig this record as well. Yeah, I mean, if you have a soul, <laughs> and, and if, if you like me as as a, as a music recommending guy, then uh, yeah, please do. Check it out. It's got a lot of strong songs. It's relatable and fun. It's got some really nice high points and closes out real nice with Take Your Time. It's got a gospely kind of closing with some claps and stuff, and it kind of leaves you feeling good at the end. So mm-hmm. I think that's important. So go check out Mr. Aaron Jones, Child of the State. It'll be worth your time. All right, buddy. Interesting pick, as always. For my new release recommendation, we're talking about a Cleveland, Ohio punk rock group by the name of Cloud Nothings. They put out an album in the February of this year called The Shadow I Remember. We are going to play a cut towards the beginning of the record. This is a little bit of Nothing Without You. So Nothing Without You by Cloud Nothings. Uh, this is their seventh studio album for the Cleveland, Ohio four-piece, uh, fronted by Dylan Baldy, who I believe does all the um, writing on the record. 
Um, the album was produced by Steve Albini, who we are going to come back to later on the show, so put a little pin in that. It was recorded over quarantine, so I guess we, we kind of have those records coming to surface now. Some of the lyrics you could tell deal with kind of monotony and stuck in, being stuck indoors, but I wouldn't say the record is focused on that necessarily. What's wrong with being indoors, man? <laughs> I love it in here personally, but <laughs> I think musicians, you know, who are used to right, being yes, on the road yes, probably of course, are of course. It's stuck. Yeah, it's just it's an accessible record, I would say. Probably their most consistent to date, in my opinion. Well, I had the wrong impression of who they were. I've never listened to them because their name, to me, sounds like uh, Mumford and Sons type of thing or whatever. So, I'm like, eh, the timing was right, too, when they came around. So, I always just kind of, I didn't know that it was, had some hard rock punkiness to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I that... Your song there, Nothing Without You, was my least favorite on it, though, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> a little too, uh, little too poppy, is that it? Yeah, little- yeah. Uh, the Nothing Without You was like, and then the rest of it sounded like a Blink-182 song to me. So then I was kind of like, nah. <laughs> They do kind of have like elements of that, I guess you'd say like pop punk, sort of. But then they mix it in with like so much rougher harder edge stuff on the record as well too so it's kind of that dark and light side which also fits the lyrics pretty well too there's definitely some darkness here but i think he always offsets it with just a little bit of hope and uh levity to to what's being talked about yeah i think it's um kind of like your feelings on the aaron jones it's the same kind of thing this is more your type of thing Mm -hmm. i like it more than i thought i would but like i didn't click right which, right, you weren't like I mean, singing these songs in the no. car like I was. And we're under no obligation here on the Album Nerds podcast to like love what the other guy picks or hate it <laughs> for the fun of, of having an argument or whatever. Sometimes it's just like, yeah, yeah, not bad. Yeah, you can't, <laughs> you can't force an opinion on somebody. <laughs> At least we try not to. Yeah, I really, I mean, this came out in February. I loved the first few tracks when I first, when I first heard it. It does like, start oh, strong. Yeah, the first three, four songs are awesome. But the second half, I was really lukewarm on for a while. And then some of the songs started to speak to me later on this year. So I thought I'd bring it up. I do think that is their their best record to date. Um, So if you liked any of their earlier stuff, uh, especially their 2012, kind of their breakthrough record, Attack on Memory, if you recall that record, also produced by Steve Albini, uh, just to mention that. Uh, I think this is probably on par with that in terms of their quality level. So once again, their album is The Shadow I Remember by Cloud Nothings. Check it out. When we talk about albums that we've loved for a long time, we call it Old Dogs. When our listeners join us and talk about albums they love, we call it Stray Cats. Cats. All right, I am so excited. We have got a brand new segment here on the Album Nerds podcast. We're bringing to you... One of you guys, an album nerd, a listener, also a longtime friend, is joining us on the show to give us an album recommendation and all of you. So welcome to my buddy, Don, the professor. Hey, Don. Hey. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor. A get honor and stay honor or just a regular one? (laughs) But uh, yes, I I am a a fairly longtime listener, so it's a pleasure to 
be able to you know share some of my uh, one of my favorite albums with you guys. Well, you picked a pretty dope record to uh, to bring us here, talking about the debut record from Joy Division, Unknown Pleasures, came out in June of 1979. I guess it, would you say it falls into like that post-punk genre, or what? How would you classify this record? Yeah, I would say it's it's kind of a like a prototypical post-punk album, you know. So it still has, I guess, sort of the punk rock ethos or something, the the simplicity. But you know, they're starting to, I guess, move away from from that. You know, there's a little more production. Yeah, yeah. I was really struck when I heard some of their live stuff before this record came out. How kind of raucous and that punk rock vibe was like really in there. And you hear this record, and it's very spaced out and. Uh, a little bit quieter. Yeah, supposedly uh, that comes from the the producer, Martin Hannett, who was kind of another sort of tortured genius. But I guess the band was very unhappy initially with, you know, with how the record sounded because they felt he did take some of the, you know, the energy out of the record, uh, made it more atmospheric. Yeah, so if if you hear their live recordings, it, it sounds basically like punk rock. Yeah. This, I don't know. I mean, it reminds me more of like that, like the David Bowie Berlin period or totally. in the, that Iggy Pop uh, album there, The Idiot. Yeah, I think I, mean, I definitely heard a lot of Iggy Pop listening through that, especially in the vocals. I mean, some of these tracks do have a bit of a rhythm and, and bounce to them. They might get on an Iggy Pop record. Yeah. All right, why don't we jump in and play a little taste of New Dawn Fades. So tortured. <laughs> All right, well, are you guys familiar with the kind of the legend of Joy Division or the, the story behind them? Would you call it behind the music? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you give us a quick yeah. uh, background here, Don? Well, I mean, they're probably most known for, you know, their, their lead singer, Ian Curtis, uh, who, who suffered from epilepsy. And he actually uh, hanged himself on the eve of their first you know, North American tour about a month before their second album was going to come out. Um, also about a month before their, the single, you know, which is the song they're most known for probably, which is Love Will Tear Us Apart. And then the remaining members of, of Joy Division went on to become New Order, you know, who have a very, you know, long history as well. See, that, that was the part that surprised me the most because I kept thinking I had heard of Joy Division and that they had a lot of albums. I know you had talked about them. Back in our roommate days, I guess I just lumped them in with New Order. I didn't realize it was two separate things. And I kind of like this better than what they were doing later, which was more infused with the rest of the 80s. Yeah, they really moved in a kind of an electronic dance direction. Mm Mm-hmm. You can still hear elements of of Joy Division in New Order. A lot of that's probably because of the the bass playing. Uh, so the bass player of Joy Division in New Order is is Peter Hook, and you know he has a tendency to to play I guess higher up on the neck, the higher strings. Uh, so the bass is often a you know more of a melodic or a lead instrument rather than a rather than a rhythm uh, instrument. Yeah, it's uh, kind of cacophonous sounding, like uh, I don't know. 
the Smiths and all that kind of stuff. It sort of has that. This was the roots of that movement. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I guess um, you know there there's some other artists that influenced Joy Division, probably like the the Buzzcocks and the Stranglers, who I think maybe used the the bass as, as more of a lead instrument. But um, yeah, I would say. Joy Division advanced that, and um, I think a lot of the '80s new wave sound, you know, you can trace back to, to Joy Division. Now, what about like this? What drew you to this particular sound? Is this the core of your musical taste? Yeah, um, God, well, that's that's a fun question to <laughs> figure out how I how I got here. Yeah, I mean, I was always into that sort of melancholy '80s, typically English. You know, synth pop yeah. and, and new wavy stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think it started with like Duran Duran because my sister was, was into it. Um, and even though they were poppier, they did have, you know, some melancholy in there. Um, and then I got into the cure and Depeche Mode and all that stuff. And, you know, eventually I, you know, started going backwards and mm-hmm. discovered Joy Division. And they are, you know, kind of where it begins. Although, it, you know, it's kind of hard to give one band credit, but they are, they are around at the same time as, as Susie and the Banshees and the cure were starting uh, around that time. And of course, you know, I mean, Bowie, Bowie comes before that. And I, I think that, again, that, that like Berlin period of, of Bowie, uh, and, and Brian Eno even mm-hmm. informs this, this music. Andy, what about you? Was, was this something you'd been into before? I mean, it kind of seems up your alley to some extent. What did you think? Uh, yeah, I'd heard it before. I was more familiar with their second record, Closer. I think it was just, for whatever reason, that was the one that was more popular when I was in college. So, yeah, I knew them, knew the sound, but it was cool to really listen to it closer because, like you said, the production is so distinct and you can really kind of like parse out all those individual elements to it. Uh, so hearing it like on good headphones and a more serious listen, I guess, was was pretty mm-hmm. uh, worthwhile. Yeah. In my younger days, I was way too dismissive of anything that just wasn't right in my alley at that moment. So if it was in in you know the days when I was listening to Boys to Men, if it didn't sound like Boys to Men, it sucked. Then later it was if it doesn't sound like Pearl Jam or Metallica or whatever, it sucks. But I've doing the getting older and doing this show and building an old an album collection has really helped open me up to this stuff. And it was it was fun to listen to, and I actually appreciated uh, what it brought, and and it did help set some stage in my mind for the rest of it that came after. So thanks, Don. You're welcome. And so on, on uh, last words from you, convince the rest of our listener um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that they should listen to this record. Well, I mean, this, uh, you know, if you have any uh, appreciation for the new wave and then even the, the alternative rock that, that came into the nineties uh, you know, I think even, a band like Nirvana could probably point to Joy Division as having some influence. I, I think in industrial music, uh, like Nine Inch Nails, I, I think. Mm-hmm. That's they may have even covered a Joy Division song, if, I, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I mean, if you want to get back to where it started or the, the roots of that music, I, I, I think this is the band. And they, and they have a, a unique sound, and that's that's what I like most. 
when you hear uh, an artist and you know it's them, you know, with that unique bass sound and kind of odd uh, crooning style that uh, Ian Curtis had. Also reminds me a bit of, of Jim Morrison uh, at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but all of it just makes for an interesting combination that's dark. You know, I mean, it's it's not for everybody and it's probably not for, for every day or for every mood, but I, I think it's a great album. I, I think the second album is is probably their, their masterpiece. But I guess I, I thought this might be a more accessible entry into their, their catalog. Well, Professor, you done learned us. Thank you <laughs> for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks so much, man. It was a cool Thank pick. Whew, man, I feel a little depressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Don. That was, that was heavy. He really knows how to bring a dude down. <laughs> now, that was fun. I hope we can do more of those. So I encourage all of you listeners, let us know if you'd like to be a guest. You don't necessarily have to be live on the show. That's a little tough to wrangle, but we'd love it if you pre-recorded a little uh, a little workup, a little section on what album you recommend and uh, see if we can get it edited up and on the show. We'd love to do that. Yeah, uh, shoot us an email, podcast.openers.com, or you can leave a voicemail. You could even leave your record review right on there if you wanted to using the old technology. The number is 585-210-2454. Yeah, thanks for Don for being on the show. It's pretty cool. Hopefully we do it again sometime soon. Shall we move on with our old dog selections, my friend? Old dogs. Oh yes. It is time. This is a very funky old dog. We got the Beastie Boys with Check Your Head from 1992. And we're gonna start off the big track. So what you want? All right, that was a little taste of So What You Want from Beastie Boys' Check Your Head. The Beastie Boys, unfortunately, were an American hip-hop group. We have to say were because uh, they lost a member to cancer a few years back. They're the kind of group I think would still be doing stuff if they were whole. And uh, they've been around since the 80s. 1981 is when they uh, were formed. They started off as a punk band, Young Aborigines, in 1978, if you can believe that, Andy. (laughs) So cool. And then they had some success in 1983 with a comedy hip-hop single called Cookie Puss about the Baskin-Robbins cookie cake, or ice cream cake, rather. (laughs) And so that's what... (laughs) That's what... Yeah. So that's what sort of changed their, they shifted over to being a hip hop group around that time and then had some shake up in the membership and then became the Beastie Boys we know from License to Ill with, uh, you got to fight for your right to party. And, and then, then came Paul's Boutique. So, the, so License to Ill was huge. Paul's yes. Boutique, they left Def Jam, which is where they started. They moved to Capitol and, Paul's Boutique kind of underwhelmed. Sales were down. They had a couple of little hits off of that, like Shake Your Rumpa. But people had kind of lost interest. And so then three years go by, and the Beasties then come out with this 
humongous masterpiece of funk and hip hop and instrumentation. And that was the approach here. They just said, let's make whatever we want. We have a contract with Capital. We have to release something. We kind of lost the heat. So let's go back, play instruments again for the first time in years and use our punk roots and see what we've got. And then out came this. Andy, thoughts? <laughs> it is a really intriguing record. Uh, it's such an amalgamation of different sounds that you would never expect if you didn't know their, their punk rock roots. I think you'd be like, what? This is clearly not a Beastie Boys record. Yeah. Because there are so many songs on here that are either have that punk rock edge or are more just instrumental passages that are, you know, deal more with like uh, funk and like yeah. just jamming out, you know, with like bass guitar and drums and kind of like electronics. It's yeah, dude. really, really not bizarre, but just seemingly not a character. Well, you know, this album, without this album, there would have been no ill communication, which was the, the big, big one with sabotage and stuff. This feels more a project of passion and then sabotage or ill communication was kind of the next step of cleaning that up, of yeah. making it slicker, leaner, meaner. Um, yeah. This is know. pretty rough at times. There's oh, yeah. Moments where you can hear people just kind of talking in the background mm -hmm. and there's like, seemed like maybe a couple takes of some songs that didn't quite start out how they expected. It's, uh, it does feel very intimate in that way. And just knowing that it's them playing the instruments, I think is, also really kind of a, a glimpse into the personality that we didn't get on the more boisterous, you know, rap records that they put out before this. Yeah, and there are songs of that nature on here. Right. You know, yeah, like we just heard. Yeah. Yes, for sure. That that was one of the more Beastie Boys-ish on the album. Past yeah. the Mic also kind of had that that vibe. Finger Licking Good had that yeah. kind of more Paul's Boutique sort of yeah. sound to it with the break beats and all that stuff. But for me, it was the funkiness of this that really captured me. I mean, listen to this, if you will. All right. So that is the theme song to Barney Miller, one of my favorite cop comedies from the 1970s. And okay. when I first listened to this album, it was that vibe, that feeling of that time period, the the way that they were doing the funk, yeah, just like brought all that back. It felt like watching Barney Miller and Good Times and those shows. Like I was a <laughs> little kid at that period, uh -huh. but it brought that back. It felt like it didn't feel like a show or a put on. It felt like the real deal. And I just thought that was awesome. So to give you an example, let's listen to a little Funky Boss. just remember being like 
how can you make it work? How can you play this smooth <laughs> funk thing and then jump in with the funky boss? But they do it. Right. They do it over and over again on here. And every time there's like this instrumental funk thing going on, then some little flavor of theirs comes in. And uh. it's just every track is unique and blows you away. It still has like a hip hop vibe to it. I mean, yeah. they do. There's some scratching and sure. there's some sampling, and there's sometimes there are rap lyrics occasionally. Um, but yeah, it's it's weird. And it, the thing that perplexes me the most, listening to the record, you know, in hindsight, like they're scattered all throughout. Like the hits aren't stacked towards the front like you would expect no. on like a record like this. These are some B sides that they shoved down too. These are like that was track track two. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, af- yeah. I, I mean, the intro track, the first track, Jimmy James, was a little bit more, you know, there was some flavor in there, but it's a little bit more what you'd expect. Like, I was like, okay, here comes the Beastie Boys. But it's, yeah. interestingly, it originally contained samples from seven Jimi Hendrix songs because it was supposed to be an homage to him. Yeah. Right. But then there was um, some stuff with the Hendrix family. They had to cut that out and they they recreated some of those uh sounds themselves. But yeah, then Funky Boss starts and it's like I'm like, whoa. Funky. Seventies. And then <laughs> yeah. Funky Bald Ass Boss. And it's like they're still the Beastie Boys. So this was magical in my opinion. Just to take what they this punk sound of their late seventies, early eighties that they were doing, which none of us really knew about, not really, super fans probably did. They had so much more talent, creativity than I think anyone would have given them credit for. And I think that's part yeah. of why this is such a great album. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It just kind of like glimpse into like their creativity and how much they really had to offer. We were just seeing like a small portion of it. We get yeah, it. I mean, it's a long record. <laughs> There's it, a lot it, of tracks on here. There are a lot of tracks, but it goes fast. It's hindered by its, I mean, the like 2009 anniversary edition or whatever, where right, there's even yeah. more. Right. Uh, so nice. if you want to get a taste of, of the actual first, you know, what the album was, the track Namaste, which is a great closer. Really cool. So like psychedelic, like oh, yeah. everything. Just kind of like space and out. Really different than you'd ever expect. So that's the closer, and then the rest is all bonus stuff, which there's some fun, cool stuff on there. I mean, no doubt. Um, but right before it, you you know, a couple tracks before it, you get Professor Booty, which is always one of my favorites. See, that was my least favorite track on there. Uh, I just liked, I liked the, I liked the, the, Professor, what do you, what's another word for pirate treasure? I just thought that was <laughs> funny. You get a dose of their humor. I wouldn't say this record is as funny as some of the earlier stuff. Okay. No. But there are little hints of it here and there. Yeah. And having Biz Markey on the Biz versus the the Nuge is is great too. Like uh so Ted Nugent and Biz Markey were both involved in that song. So Oh, is that what that song's about? Mm-hmm. I didn't really know what that was the Biz versus the Nuge. Yeah. They're coming home. <laughs> the Beastie Boys are coming home. Yeah. So, so that's Bismarck Key on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to, one of my favorite hip hop songs back in the day when I was in, I guess I was in high school when Yo MTV Raps was really popular. 
and uh, Bismarcky. I I loved that whole album. Don't you say he's just a friend? Right. I the whole album was great. Really, uh, man, yeah. I would never have pegged you for like that. Well, I, I I was a little more, you know, I was exploring. Yeah. Right. Well, hey, man, hats off to you for bringing a hip hop record. I mean, loosely a hip hop record. Yes, to the show. it's loosely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my play I mean I've been knocking this around for a while but then a few weeks ago I listened to this album for the first time in a while and I'm like yes yes sir so <laughs> sign me up I, I wish we could get into all of it it would be a whole show or two all by themselves uh, so go please I beg of you whatever you do in life go check out check your head you'll find something to love it is an amazing goofy funky journey all right well something tells me that maybe we might be hearing from the beastie boys again at some point in the near Uh-oh. future on the show but we'll see we'll see put a pin in that for later right now we're talking about a release from the jesus lizard and their second full length entitled goat which came out back in march of 1991 from the chicago illinois based punk rock Alternative rock, post rock group. <laughs> I don't know. Um, why don't we play a cut towards the beginning of the record? This is a little bit of mouth breather. Nothing worse than a mouth breather, man. Um, we all breathe through our mouths, Andy. Maybe you do, bro. Some uh, Neanderthals do. You never because... breathe through your mouth? No, never. <laughs> never have. <laughs> ah, ah, of course. For food only. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is their second album. Also, uh, similar to the Cloud Nothing's record, produced by Steve Albini. It's a little bit earlier in his career. Um, I think the album in hindsight is most known for its production style in that there is a lot of space around these instruments, very much like the Joy Division record that we heard featured in our listener picks. The production here really kind of set the tone for this this band, especially in this phase of their career. The mix is largely focused on the rhythm section, so drums and bass, and the vocals, as you heard, are kind of pushed back in the mix, which was unheard of at the time, especially for this type of kind of more aggressive punk rock uh, style. So I've been a big fan of this record for many, many years. I think it is the strongest from their release or from their catalog. It is pretty aggressive through all throughout. Um, lots of tortured vocals and big meaty guitar riffs. Yep. You can really sink your teeth into. I love it. What, do you, what did you think, man? I'd never really listened to them. They didn't fall into the right category for me at the time. They weren't grungy enough. You know what I mean? Not grungy enough? Yeah. Well, because they weren't called out as one of those bands. I remember- They weren't labeled as part- They weren't part of the movement, I guess. For whatever reason. I worked at a music store, so I was aware of their existence. But I, you know, back then, you didn't just get to listen to whatever and try it out. You had to 
buy the CD to listen to it. So I never really heard it. It's it's heavy. I like the vocals in particularly. I mean, my only gripe was that it's sort of samey. You know, that's often one of my things. Like, you know, the, the, the songs all, they're good, but by maybe seven or eight in, I'm like, okay, you know. What else got you got? It. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that's fair criticism. Um, there's not a lot of pacing changes. There's moments of aggression and there's moments of extreme aggression, I would say. There is a little bit of humor sprinkled in here throughout. Well, I um, mean, mouth breather right there. I mean, using that. Yeah. Term. Mouth breather. Yeah. So, quick story on that. Steve Albini, who we mentioned was a producer on this record. Uh, supposedly the story is that he was out of town for a while and he asked a friend of his who's actually in the band Slint, if you've ever heard of them, yeah, uh, to, to house sit for him. And when he came back, he found the, the front door had been completely removed from his house and had been boarded up. The, uh, toilet was, uh, dispensing, uh, fecal matter into his basement. And Yikes. it was kind of just in complete disarray. <laughs> so he's recounting this to some of the members of Jesus Lizard. And he's like, yeah, well, he's a nice guy, but uh, he's a mouth breather. <laughs> just kind of like right. give him a little, little jab there at the end. Uh, so they still there for the song. I think it works really well. It just kind of like, uh, how would you interpret it? What's a mouth breather mean to you, man? Obviously, it's not just about breathing through your mouth. Well, yeah, typically uh, uh, the term had been thrown around as just someone who's less intelligent because yeah. they just sit there with their mouth hanging open all the time. <laughs> right, catching a, flies a, or gape, whatever. a mouth agape from not understanding what's going on around them. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So all everyone, right. you can't see me, but my mouth is tightly shut right now. <laughs> now we're both like keeping our lips sealed. <laughs> While Andy speaks, I have my lips pressed <laughs> tightly together. Uh, yeah, so the record is pretty consistent in terms of tone. Let's talk about a track that comes a little bit later on on the record entitled Lady Shoes. Um, actually, why don't we go ahead and play a little cut of that right now. That track is a particularly good glimpse at kind of the twisted, I guess, humor, but just perspective um, that the band brings. Uh, have you ever heard of that joke called the Aristocrats, my friend? I have heard of it, I think in a movie or something it was mentioned, but... Yeah, I think that's accurate. It's it's common, like at, at roast, sometimes people will go into this. Yeah, it's like a routine, right? Yeah, exactly. There's ways you can interpret it, but basically the joke is it's disgusting, and I apologize out of front. Um, <laughs> yeah, get that in there. <laughs> there's a there's a family who has an act, and they're going to like a uh, talent scout to pitch their act, and their act essentially is that they all have sex with each other, and the joke is that you kind of like. Add your own flavors to all the disgusting sex acts, sex acts that they perform on each other. And at the end, you say, well, what's the name of the act? And the joke is, 
the aristocrats, right? Uh, so they kind of do their own take on that. And this song is basically Jesus Lizard's disgusting collection of like horrible sex acts. If you read the, the lyrics, it's absolutely filthy. Um, but I think it fits in on this record. It's a pretty filthy sounding record. Yes. It has a lot of grunge and just glassiness happening. You gotta say here. grime. Yeah. You can't say grunge unless it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's right. They went from Seattle, so they wouldn't get the grunge TM put on this. But uh, it is grimy. Yes, it is. Any other final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I largely enjoyed it. I enjoyed both of your picks. Good punky hard rock with, uh, uh, particularly, I think the highlight is the vocals. Yeah. I would agree. I wouldn't say they're like an overlooked band, but maybe they're not as popular as a lot of those bands from the early 90s. Um, but I think they did some pretty cool stuff, especially on this record and the record that came after it. Uh, so once again, the album is Goat by the Jesus Lizard. Give it a listen if you're so inclined. Thanks, Andy. And thanks, Don. That was a great yeah. show. Thanks, Don. And thank you all for listening to the show. So tell us what you think of these records and what you're listening to by emailing us once again, podcast at albumnerds.com, voicemail 585-210-2454. Word up. We'd really appreciate it if you could um, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe while you're there. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at albumnerds. We will have a Spotify playlist of the songs we just featured on the show up on our website, albumnerds.com. And lastly, if you want to toss us a few bones, we really would appreciate it. You can go to com slash support. Toss us a few bucks over PayPal. That'd be awesome. So, with that all being said, we'll be back next time with more album recommendations. Thanks for listening. Peace. Another thing you guys have in common besides uh, like adoring me, you're both vegetarians. Yeah, nice. I don't know why I attract you guys. You guys? <laughs> yeah, you vegetarians. Those vegetarians. I think you, you attract people you can antagonize. <laughs> good material for you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I got called out right there. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some soul searching to do after this.